I'm looking deep into my eyes into the mirror and I swear I heard um, the, the devil talk to me and say, it's okay to continue drinking. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Happy September, friends, and welcome to my 17th episode of the Altered Stories show and fourth episode of our new show segment, Healing Conversations with Tawana. Thanks for listening to the show. For those that don't know me, my name is Michelle Saunders Gutch, also known as Michelle Renee Gutch show host and founder of Altered Stories Ministry, a new nonprofit located in Overland Park, Kansas, that helps Christian women share their life-altering God stories so women around the world can hear them and be encouraged in their faith. Before we embark on this conversation today, I wanted to take this opportunity and wish my mom in heaven a happy 83rd birthday. This past March, she passed away unexpectedly into the loving arms of Jesus, and I'm still learning how to live life on this earth without her. Now, on a positive note, I wanted to share some exciting news. Our show continues to grow, and we now have over 700 listeners on our platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Radio.com. We soon hope to have our podcast available to listen to on Pandora, too. So, let's get this show started. Today, I'm blessed to feature special host guest Tawana Clark Shepard and Shay Sparks. Tawana is on the board of Altered Stories Ministry and has been a former show guest where she shared her life-altering God story of mental health recovery, which led her to start her own practice, Abundant Living Legacy Life Care in Overland Park, Kansas. Tawana is also a highly sought-after public speaker and an associate minister at her local church, and she hosts ministry conferences and workshops. Shay Sparks is a special friend and our current awesome guest blogger and former show guest. She is the author of How to Get Your Voice Back and is an empowerment speaker and certified fearless living coach and hosts her own podcast, The Power of Investing in People, in which I was blessed to be a guest. Today, Tuwana and Shay will be discussing Shay's journey of mental health issues and the stress, trauma, depression that she encountered from being bullied in childhood alcoholism to help those of you that may be struggling with these types of issues and are in need of some godly wisdom, encouragement, and mental health counseling perspective from Tuwana. Welcome, Tawana and Shay. How are you ladies doing? Well, I am doing pretty well this afternoon. Thank you so much for asking. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. Great. So before you two rock stars start your conversation, 
Can you please share with our listening audience today what you'd like them to take from the show today? Uh, Tawana, you can go first and then Shay can answer. What I would like for the audience to go away with today is I was kind of in prayer about that. You know, I was kind of want to want what God wants. And so what he brought to me was actually an area of scripture in Deuteronomy. As we're thinking about the topic um, or and even just the kind of a dual topic that we're kind of touching on here today that overall just has to do with the effects of um, childhood trauma. And it came to me that God's ultimate goal for us as overcomers, first of all, that's the goal that we would um, allow him to make us overcomers in circumstances such as that we will be discussing today, but then also that we would be strong and courageous and free of fear and terror, knowing that God is with us. And so that's what I would like people to walk away with, knowing that because God is with you all the time, never will leave, never will forsake you, you do have the ability to overcome and be a strong and courageous champion, even over your circumstances. Well, thank you, Tawana. That was beautifully said. And I have to agree 100% with you and add that um, my hope is that um, anyone who's listening will be inspired to overcome their circumstance. So it doesn't matter if it's mental health or if the circumstance that's happened to you and there was depression or alcoholism or any of the topics that we'll touch on today that if I can do it, I know that they can do it. And so that's just uh, what I hope I hope the listeners get today. Amen. Well, Tawana, take it away. Thank you so much. Um, Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I was ready to go. I was ready to go. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm, I'm just excited about this topic. I think because it just goes to the heart at the... People always ask you in therapy, in the therapy world, in the counseling world, you know, what your specialty is. And when you become a a private practitioner, you do have the privilege of kind of choosing that. And I think for me, um, it has always been, it still remains to be children. And I say that because it's really about getting at the heart of a child. There's so much that we can prevent that becomes very toxic and harmful adult cares and that which ultimately severely grieves the heart of our Heavenly Father if we catch it early enough. And so just my excitement to ever ever be in a place where I can highlight um, this issue of childhood trauma in any form, I'm just very excited about that. And I think also I would just really like the any conversation we have today that it would help kind of close this what we call the empathy gap you know there's just so much um lack of of awareness and i think a lot of it though where the empathy gap comes in is that people choose to not be aware um of the consequences and the impact that childhood trauma Um, can have and that it continues to have long into our adult lives. And so, Shay, if if you don't mind, I would like to just kind of start with your story, if you will. Um, We kind of have two 
topics, if you will, but they are very closely related in terms of the impact. Um, even the data around both of them just kind of experiencing childhood trauma where, where it relates to alcoholism as well as bullying. But I personally also experienced both of them myself. And they were cornerstone, if you will, cornerstone issues that um, motivated me to become a counselor. Because I, I just, and for a long time, I just wanted to help kids. I just wanted to help kids um, that were going through things because um, of, of what I went through. So tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, I guess I'll start with my childhood. I had two older brothers and their curiosity was in pornography. My parents have the insight of boys will be boys um, or the attitude, I should say, of boys will be boys. And so they had pornography on their walls uh, as posters. And as a young girl, looking at that, it created a huge disconnect of my own self-worth, not to mention my own exposure at such a young age. It was the innocence of my childhood was taken almost. And to really understand that just being exposed to pictures really traumatizes a young brain that I believe the society doesn't even think about these days. And so I knew that uh, there was also some depression underlying as a kid. I could recognize it. Um, I think I was in like fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, and I was kind of like toying around and even talking about like uh, killing myself, like how suicide would be such a good answer of the quote unquote uh, crappy life that I had, had had up until that moment. And I always was wishing that I lived in someone else's family. Like, why wasn't I born into that family? Why was I born into the one I have? And so by the time my oldest brother graduated high school, I was um, just out of sixth grade. And at 18, or when he graduated, it was legal drinking age. And so we had a party to celebrate his graduation. And all of his friends and family, our family gathered around a, a keg in the garage and celebrated his graduation. And myself at 11 years old drank two bottles of wine. And, and, and I kind of look back now and I'm like, wow, was that the moment that the enemy creeped in? And I think it was really such a younger age that it just toils with you and twists things around in your brain to really think that it's okay. Um, several months later, after after celebrating his graduation, several months later, I had broke my knee and I was a cheerleader and I was doing a jump on this these little um, round jogging trampolines that they had back then. And when I landed, my knee did not bend properly and my bone broke. And to put even the slightest pressure on my big toe was excruciating pain. Unfortunately, I lived in the middle of Iowa on a farm. So it was super cold, snowy, isolating. Back then, everything was long distance phone call to call your friends. And it was just the beginning of my middle school years in, in seventh grade. 
And so I had a lot of social things taken from me because I had to recover from this broken bone. And I was in such much pain that the pain medication made me nauseous. And so my mom said, we'll just stop taking it. And so the pain itself then made me to just vomit for six weeks. And I didn't go to school because all I did was vomit and cry and felt sorry for myself and was in a deeper depression and wanting even more, wanting to die and suicidal. And even though I didn't express that to her, I think she had some sort of grasp on what I was going through and yet didn't know how to address it. And so my parents did the, the, the best they could as parents. They weren't nurturing or loving or caring in a way that I would have liked to have had as a child. And unfortunately, that goes on in homes everywhere. Doesn't matter of, of anything, right? Doesn't matter your um, religion, race, or economic status. It just happens. My parents, you know, now I have forgiven my parents and, you know, have many talks with them and they just did what they knew. They did how they were raised and they, you know, this was before books, before counseling, before internet to find help. And so just going through the motions of their parenting, it was, they just um, birthed the children. They didn't really raise the children or parent or parent the children. By the time I was 15, I was drinking daily. And it was, again, with just wanting to, if this is all there is, why continue to live? So just keep drinking and that will, that will take care of itself, right? That'll take care of the depression because it'll go away. And at 16, well, I should say, well, at least that's what the enemy told me. <laughs> and I mean, I was even remembering it was either a, a morning before school or I was getting ready to go uh, to a dance or something and I'm drinking. And there were times where I would drink before school and I'm sitting in the, in the, uh, in my bedroom, putting on my makeup in the mirror and I'm looking deep into my eyes, into the mirror. And I swear I heard, um, the, the devil talk to me and say, it's okay to continue drinking. If you remember, what did it do for you in the moment? Just for those who, you know, are listening and maybe trying to understand um, a loved one, especially if that loved one is a young person at that age, because that is exceptional, right? To develop a habit. So what do you remember it doing for you in terms of coping? Well, I love that you asked this question because I think so many people forget that, that's, that there's a reason behind the alcohol. And it was really about numbing the pain, numbing the anger, numbing the depression, numbing any kind of feeling that was bubbling up to the surface that I didn't want to feel. Can you help us make um, a, a bit of a leap, if you will, between the onset of that as a coping strategy and where the bullying came in? Because of course, there's always a place where they intersect. Can you take us to that place? Yes. I was probably in um, eighth grade. I was, mm, I would say drinking on occasion, but probably nothing like I was at 15, but I had to ride a bus every day to school. And 
I don't even, I can't even explain to you why other than I was feeling so hurt and miserable inside. I, I felt like maybe I needed to have someone else feel that fear and miserable and, and unhappiness. And so the, the younger kids on the bus, I would make cry. And some of them, I would just sit next to them in a seat and just my sheer presence, it would upset them. And uh, looking back, it, it, I mean, it's just brings tears to my eyes to even think that I could have been just that intimidating, cruel person because that's not who I am today, nor was that my intention. It's interesting that a lot of work is done around helping those who are bullied. One of the major motivators for me is to also draw attention. And this is where I love being able to do what I do through the funnel of Christ. Um, Because, you know, it's almost like, if you will, that's my justification. It's sad to say it that way. But You know, when you start talking about any type of um, attention at all on the person who is doing the bullying, pointing attention towards the pain that they're in, and an absolute, it's not maybe, sort of, no, no one does that kind of thing unless they are in excruciating pain themselves. And all the work around stopping it. I mean, we've got everything up to the federal level about stopping it. Initiatives, initiatives, initiatives. And I promise you, it was nothing but the voice of the Lord that said to me about seven years ago, okay, if you don't address what's behind the bully actions, you're getting nowhere. We want to be PC, so politically correct and all of these things. But you know, when people, you know, know that I'm a believer in Christ. And so, yeah, I'm going to take you to that place where everybody and their importance and the priority of helping their pain is equally valued at the foot of the cross. Um, and so most people don't, you know, I, I'm, I also get out of a lot of back and forth because they don't want to hear about it if they're not a believer, especially. <laughs> but that's just the reality. Um, Even if they're not a believer, though, they can't deny the data that you cannot deal with this epidemic if you do not provide services, attention to the person who is doing the bullying. It's impossible. So as much as as, as as much as victims feel anger and bitter and shame and being helpless and vulnerable and frustrated and lonely and isolated, how much of that resonates with you? Because that's the data around people. Who, so when you read that, you read that, you pull up any you know internet site and it'll say, you know, these are the things that, you know, happen to someone who's bullied. And I'm not trying to lessen that because I was on the opposite side. That's what I'm saying. It's interesting how our story is kind of crossover and parallel. But as you're, as you're telling your story just about your life, right, how much of that applied to you in heaping amounts? So I... I Looking back, I mean, I, I know that hurt people hurt people. And bullies are bullied at some point. And so we are completely so beautiful and magical to one that we have never met. And yet we were on the same path. <laughs> uh, thank you, Michelle, for introducing us. I am actually writing a 
program to uh, redirect bullies because what they are getting in schools is suspension or detention or maybe even just a slap on the wrist, nothing, you know, and it's not working. And so I am called to basically everything that I have been through in my life, which is abuse, addiction, the bullying, um, low self-worth, depression, and to really, that's why I've become a coach and transform trauma into treasure. And so I help women who've gone through abusive relationships help other women that they're going to meet. And so the same with bullies, like this whole program that I'm working on is once we go through this program, get them sort of healed and realizing that they have a say to go, you know what, I'm being hurt too, that then they have a responsibility as I think we all have a responsibility of once you overcome something, when you see something, someone else going through it to reach out and say, you know what, I've been there too. Right. And it's really important because there, again, there's a lot of work done around healing um, the effects of bullying. But again, a lot of that work, when you get to the fine print of it, is almost solely centered around, or should I say, targeted towards the person that's being bullied. But when you look at the human condition, the same interventions that you would apply to a person that's being bullied, if you truly, truly want to get at the issue of bullying, you must really apply those same interventions to the person doing the bullying. Now, your approach, you may need to go through a different door, okay? So you may need to go through a different door, but I tell you, it usually takes me just a few minutes alone with someone who's doing bullying. And the door I just go through is we don't even really talk about their actions. See, that's the other issue. We want to come at, you know, the finger pointing and shaming and blaming. But we just start, I I just start really engaging with them about their life. Tell me about who you are, who, who, who's at home when you get there, who, you know, who's not at home. And it doesn't take very long, especially when it's a child before they break and you find out they are in. Now, here's the thing. I know that people are really, you know, hesitant to get into the whole, you know, whose pain is worse, but it's been shocking at first. Now I'm not shocked anymore, but when I first, when God first put me on this path, it was shocking to me at times how often the life of the bully in terms of trauma, honestly, it walked circles around their victims. Well, so I had the privilege and honor of being uh, asked to sit in in a class that my friend teaches for probation and parole clients. And uh, as I'm listening to them and then um, give, offering my counsel, I realized that And it was a couple of days later, I realized, like, what if we could go back to who they were as a child? Would that prepare them in a different way? Would that stop them from going to um, prison? As I'm thinking this, one of my uh, clients was actually being bullied by one of my other clients. And, uh, and I should clarify, I also have a salon and I'm a hairstylist. And so it was my hair client's daughter 
who is my client getting bullied by one of my other client's daughters. And I thought, well, what if I take what I've learned from the adult level of the probation and parole clients and redirect it towards middle schoolers? And yes, I know that it's in elementary too. However, for me, I connect so much more with the middle school age. And it's it, they're just so impressionable at that age. And so I thought, well, what if I did this? And so I really feel God placed this entire thing at my lap and at my feet as step-by-step, prayer after prayer after prayer. And it was answered in just an amazing way that I am blown away that he would choose me. Sorry, I get teary-eyed that he's chosen me to um, carry this out. Um, that's where I'm working on. So that's, I love that we're talking about this. I I don't want to skip over though, a very important part that I'm sure anyone listening would want to know what, what was your, I kind of have this, the dark, you know, the midnight hour, you know, of the issue. And then, you know, dawn comes because it always takes me when I'm interviewing someone, I have the weeping that endures for the night but the joy comes in the morning. And so when did, when did morning happen for you or how, or what things started it? I stopped being a bully. Um, once I, I think it was my freshman year. So I started driving to school. So I was no longer a uh, quote unquote tempted. And I was able to focus more back on myself and not projecting outwards. Um, however, by the time I was 16, I got a DUI. And then I woke up the next morning and I said, okay, God, I'm done. I've messed my life up so far. And so what do you want from me? You take it and do with it what you want. And now that doesn't mean like, yay, miracle. I'm in a different home. No, that means it was a slow progression. And so life's changed. I went to graduated with honors from high school, uh, even though my dad had left my mom and I had to take care of her. And so much happened. And then I went to college for computer science and I quit. And then I moved out with my girlfriends, lived off my savings and hung around people who were, you know, questionable people. And we were, I'll just say it, we were in the um, drug trafficking business. And so then from there, I moved here to Kansas City and went to cosmetology school. And that was a pivotal moment as well, because I was no longer stuck in my own head about me. I was really serving other people. Then I got into an abusive relationship and I quit drinking because he was also an alcoholic and one of us had to become sober. And so it wasn't really until the last 10 years I was able to get out of that relationship. Unfortunately, he was in a car accident and had a brain injury. And I was able to get out of the the relationship and move forward. I started Christian counseling in the first week and coaching and read books and just diving in to layers of the onion that we are and peeling away those layers and healing every single layer, including my childhood, including my parents, including my brothers, including um, all the people that. I was um, angry at and all the people that I had bullied, I even reached out to some of them on Facebook and was like, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You did the, you did the, you did the, the whole treatment plan that I put. (laughs) Praise God. Goodness gracious. I mean, it, 
Yeah. Thank you for just expressing all that detail so quickly, because really, truly, that is what a, a typical treatment plan is comprised of. It's interesting how I'm hearing and anyone's listening hearing you had a relationship with the Lord the whole time. What made you listen better? What made you finally just say, okay, because um, you and I and anyone who's a believer knows what I mean by what made you finally listen better. But that's truly kind of what happens. It's like a child that is rebellious and they have a great parent, you know, great parent, great parents, but they just choose their own way. And then finally they just get to a point where they're like, okay, you were right. So how did that happen for you? Oh gosh. It, well, it happened multiple times throughout my life. Um, I, I, so I grew up going to church from birth and was baptized in the church as a, uh, you know, infant and, and all of that. And really had a, and would go every Sunday, but it came to me realizing about when I was 10, that my family was church goers, not Christ followers. Uh-huh. There is a difference. Yes. And I had in my mind, like when I would go out, I saw it cause I was the only girl, my bro- my brothers were doing their own stuff. I would go out and play outside by myself. And I had imaginary friends at that, that age you have imaginary friends and his name was Jesus. <laughs> And I would just talk to him and play with him and as, as I was, you know, doing whatever. And so he was there and he had that foundation and it was, you know, exactly what you said, that rebellious kid. I mean, I, you know, was rebellious, not only to God, but I was rebellious to my parents. And, and so then again at 16, okay. I, well, when my knee broke, I was okay. Let's turn my life around. Even though I had all this depression, I was praying and praying and praying. And then, you know, when I was 16, I was like, and got the DUI. I'm like, okay, I give it back to you. And then, you know, I moved here at 19 and then it's like, okay, I've, I'm screwed my life up and I give it back to you. And it's kind of like that, you know, he says to lay down all your cares and concerns at his feet and do not pick it back up. Well, I would lay it down and then I would pick it back up. Sure. Sure. I'm so familiar with that pattern <laughs> personally. Right. And I really think what is so gracious and amazing about our God is that he's still there. He doesn't turn his back when you're a rebellious uh, adult or teenager or whatever. He doesn't turn his back. And he's still there just waiting for you. He's very patient. He's just waiting for you to come back and go, oh, yes, welcome back, my friend, my child. Yes, thank you. Always celebrating, always happy to see us, always happy to embrace us. It's so amazing that you said that and the spirit of God just quickened in me just now. Like, yeah, that is what never leaving and never forsaking feels like. She just described it. And that's what I want people to go away with, like he's real. And yes, there are there are strategies that someone like myself and even someone like yourself now that you are using your experience to help others can give people. Um, but at the very foundation of it, the complete healing and deliverance, walking free, staying free, that whole thing. It lies at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, his blood, all those things. And so, yeah. Definitely. And I just want to say how you were talking before about you don't talk to the bullies about what they did. Exactly. Because it's not about the um, act that they chose to act out with, because God doesn't talk about those things with us. 
doesn't matter to him the things that you did. What matters to him is what you're going to do now. Absolutely. And that is a good segue <laughs> into the final points that, that we'll make. The main thing is understanding that recovery from this, whether you are whatever side you're on, as you have listened to both of us talk about this on both sides of it, it's the same. I had to walk through with the help of great counseling, but ultimately just with the help of God and the resources he sent, I had to walk through the steps of being refocused back on who I was and and the fact that I had a future, let alone what that future was. And I had to have help with acknowledging the pain that I was in, but not making the pain my focus. And I had to focus on forgiveness, just as you were talking about going out and actively and intentionally seeking out forgiveness. Um, All of those things, you know, those are just a a fast list of tips that I would offer to um, anyone who's listening. And that ultimately, um, with the help of counseling or a coach, like you said, where I do both in my professional life, to have someone help you reframe your thinking. Um, about the about all the trauma that you are involved in. Let's just call it that, okay? Um, because again, we've established that it is true, hurt people hurt people. And we are not saying that in the context of excusing or non-accountability, right? But just reframing your thinking and that helps you ultimately reclaim control over your life, your situation, um, and any of this, the daunting tasks and circumstances that you're confronted with. And that's kind of what I would leave um, our listening audience with. Is there anything that you would like to kind of say in conclusion, how you would give hope um, to anyone who is just a victim of childhood trauma in general? Yes, definitely. A trauma is, is a situation that happened to you. And it is not the story that you tell yourself about it. And so, like you said, it's really about reframing your mindset about that trauma and having the accountability and the responsibility to turn that into a trauma. I mean, turn that trauma into a treasure by going through the steps and healing. Because when you heal, the people around you heal. So empowered people empower people. Yes. Healing is contagious, is it not? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it yes. is. It is. Um, well, thank you so much, Shay. Goodness, we could we could do this for, you know, another hour easily. Um, but I just, I want to thank you um, for just being so courageous, so courageously transparent. Um, I think it is amazing, the story that when people see people like you and myself, they don't see the details of our story. They just see the grace of God on us. And, but, but it's important for people to know certain details, especially the ones where you hesitate to even speak out of your mouth. Those are the ones that tend to bring people to deliverance. And so I want to thank you for that extra layer because I sensed it with you today. Thank you for that extra layer of um, transparency and just for your time and for the labor and that you are putting forward to help another generation and yet another family 
um, either avoid or recover from trauma. Thank you so much. That is that is it. Well, ladies, thank you both of you for this great conversation today. I mean, I've sat back and enjoyed listening to your dialogue and your connection and how God is using both of you in terms of communication um, to our listeners to be able to keep them encouraged um, through their struggles in these areas. So great conversation. And I also wanted to, in wrapping up the show today, go ahead and ask uh, our audience to please give us feedback. As this is our fourth show segment, um, where we're featuring Tawana, we would love to hear more from the audience about, you know, your experience with what you're learning um, in terms of biblical application and godly wisdom as well as the mental health perspective. So we would love to hear more feedback from you and also do share the podcast uh, at some point. Um, I will be going on Facebook Live and uh, introducing Tawana to uh, those of you that have an interest in joining um, so that you can kind of get a sense of who she is a little bit more uh, as well. So uh, stay tuned for more details around that. Also, Altered Stories Ministry is still in need of volunteers, and I just wanted to let everyone know we're currently recruiting for a board treasurer to continue to help us as we uh, move our mission forward, and also we're looking for volunteers, fundraisers, and marketing support coordinators, so please do reach out to our website, www.alteredstories.org. And we will have a full episode page out there that will um, provide an overview, again, of all of the contact information for our guests, Tawana and Shay, too, because these ladies are gracious and they're always open to helping or supporting if there's needs from our listening audience. So until the next show, remember... Be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a new nonprofit evangelistic talk show for women. Our ministry is located in Overland Park, Kansas. And if you enjoyed listening to today's show, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of everyday women too. So why don't you share the link to our podcast on your social media? And we welcome your feedback. So let us know what you think. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories. We welcome your tax-exempt financial donations. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, log on to our website, alteredstories.org. That's alteredstories.org. Dot O-R-G.